We're having a flashback to the killing of two lovers, and we're going to find a spot of land with part two of A Quiet Place. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. And this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Welcome to Off Screen. It's cinema time, as always, Miss Perfect. Yes, indeed, we can keep it cinematic and also on your couch because we've got a bit of everything for you today. Well, we? that's it. We, we get we get to go back into cinemas and about half of it you can watch at home now as well. I'm I'm uh, I'm looking forward to uh, you know, a summer where people are going to have to have to actually choose between going to the cinema or paying for like premiere access on Disney Plus with uh, like a Marvel movie and a Dwayne Johnson movie. It's going to be very strange. It's going to be really strange, and I'm thinking like I'm so interested to see what the figures are the numbers Mm. for how each of these kind of does and what that does dictate the movie going public in the future so it's it's quite an exciting time for movies it is it is is. i noticed the uh the boss baby trailer had at the end of it uh you know it's gonna be out on this day but it's also gonna be on peacock on the same day as i'm like this is gonna be a fascinating time to live in now but let's talk about one uh straight off the bat that you can only see in cinemas i believe uh this week and that is the uh the feature directorial debut i believe of actress robin wright it is called land it also it stars uh, robin wright as well uh in the lead and she's ed she is a woman who is uh, has gone to the no, sort of northwestern vistas of the United States. She's sort of isolated herself in the middle of nowhere. She's going off grid in order to find herself. Some, she's had some some a profound change upon in her life, and uh, she has decided to sack it all. And this sounds an awful lot like a, a certain recent Best Picture winner that I could. I don't know. I just it, it's on the tip of my tongue. I can't Ooh. possibly think what it could what it could uh, what it could possibly be. If you don't want to talk about the past. Have you thought about what you want your life to be now? Moving forward? I just... I want to notice more. Notice everything around me more. Know more about here. Be able to survive here. Appreciate it. like a goal you are able to live here now <laughs> I really struggle to say Robin Wright without saying Robin Wright Penn I don't know if you have this problem <laughs> <laughs> she's always Robin Wright Penn to me I know she's like years since she's divorced because she, she was for so long wasn't she was just like it was a very long time wasn't yeah, she yeah yeah I mean okay I'm going to start off with that with this did you enjoy it no. Oh. <laughs> that, that was the weird thing. It's it's one of those where it's a very classy movie. Like, it, it, don't get me wrong. It's, you know how there is a version, there is a perception that we have of Robin Wright as yeah. a person. Yeah. Like what she must be like as a person. I believe that she has very lovely wool sweaters tied, you know, get gracefully around her neck as she, uh, you know, lounges around and and you know uh, studies poetry and things during the day. I, I, you know, we all have that very classy perception of Robin Wright. This is very much what happens if that person you envision that she is goes and directs Nomadland, effectively, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. literally what it is. And you, it has this feel where. She's quite clearly artistically interested enough that this is a passion project, but at the same time, it's so devoid of passion. It just feels so kind of creaky, just a bit too refined. Okay, so obviously comparisons with Nomadland. Had Hmm. this come out a year ago or maybe next year when Nomadland wasn't such a big thing, Mm -hmm. would you think differently about this? Uh, no, because I think my my opinions of the film individually are, are, diff- are different enough and, yeah. and unique enough and unrelated to one another that they, it was they would, survive, they would survive relatively yeah. intact, devoid okay. of one another in a vacuum from one another. But like I say, it's it's there's a likable enough chemistry between uh, uh, Robin Wright and Demian Bashir, who's you know an always welcome presence. I always like enjoy seeing Demian Bashir turn up in things, even that Annabelle sequel. Yeah, he did, and yeah, they have a likable enough energy, but it's, it's it's very nicely shot, and you know, Robin Wright quite clearly, you know, knows how to put together a film that quite you know nicely fits in with that perception I described before of of, of Robin Wright. So yeah, if you want to see that 
person's version of Nomadland? Or, or actually, a bit more like what would happen if you fused together Eat, Pray, Love and, and the Reese Witherspoon one, Wild. Right. You smash those oh, two God. together. A bit what more a weird like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose maybe do you feel like she's been a little bit too ambitious? It's her directorial debut, but yet she's also starring in it. And obviously, you know, we're going to be talking about Quiet Place 2 later. The same happened for John Krasinski with A Quiet Place and he smashed it. Um, but do we feel that in this instance, maybe it's a little bit too much too soon for her? I actually feel it's too reserved. I feel it's too oh. distant from the from the audience. I feel like I feel like you know, that per- that perception, that persona, is not one that stands up. You know, stands up naturally to let itself be exposed. You yeah, know, to, okay. to expose its inner workings and its inner, inner thoughts and monologues. So this does feel a bit more standoffish. Okay. I think in terms of how it engages with the audience and yeah. how it defines character, etc. In, in fact, um, there is. The, it, it ties nicely into something I'm going to say about another film in the, in, in the next segment when we talk about something with, with Clayne Crawford. But um, I would say well-made, mm. just not that engaging. It's a passionless passion project, but it's yeah. well-made. I feel, I feel just by your reaction to this is that you really wanted to give it the plaudits. You really wanted to kind of give it everything to say, yes, it was brilliant and something was just stopping you. Because it felt so classy. I felt like I should be watching it in my beach house, in, you know, in my, my Rhode Island beach house with a nice glass of Chardonnay, you know, whilst wearing a, a nice, you know, knitted sweater tied neatly around my shoulders. Yeah. You know, sat on my window cubby. And it felt like a classy, affair uh, and that, that's what it was I think it's, it makes it, it endears itself to me it feels like I should want to like it let's talk then about Flashback that's okay. out this week as well which uh, stars Dylan O'Brien and I'm fascinated Ooh. yeah I'm fascinated by Dylan because he's Teen Wolf isn't he yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think uh, he's, he is he's TV's Teen Wolf and he seems to me to be the sort of Ashton Kutcher to Logan Lerman's Topher Grace. Yes. If we're going to use a sort of nice comparison point. And so fittingly, now we have Dylan O'Brien sort of giving us his version of the butterfly effect. Right. Um, have you have you had the pleasure of this one? Did you catch no, this No, I haven't. But what, do you know what I have just learned? is <laughs> I always thought Dylan O'Brien was British, but he was born in New oh, York. Right. Oh, so, okay. No, I, I, I never thought he was British. I just always assumed he was American. No, maybe I've seen him in something that... Maybe it was in Maze Runner or something like that, where I was like, oh, he does a really, he's really convincing as a Brit. And I assumed because it was full of Brits, that was it. He was British, but fine. Um, you learn a new thing every day. But yes, I can confirm he is Teen Wolf. <laughs> Fair enough. So, so he's a young man who is just go, he's going through a difficult time in his life, starts recovering forgotten memories of uh, an old flame from, from years previous, from, like a, from 15 years in the past, from sort of high school era, uh, played by Micah Monroe. And the mystery of what happened to this friend starts to seep into his life as he starts to experience things sort of out of order. None of it matters. All they're doing is giving things labels, giving inaccurate names to things that are infinite and unknowable. This is your name. This is your house. This is your language. This is your job. Labeling every little thing, even the label maker. And then they look around at their world of utterly meaningless labels and say this is our reality Dylan O'Brien born in 1991 you know he's kind of we've seen him as Teen Wolf we've seen him doing this stuff is this his step into more mature adult content that is going to start pushing him before from the teen star that he is to actually bonafide film star no this is not that role and another <laughs> one you're hoping for this is this is not that role this is not right. going to be the one that makes him the household name this is not going to be the one that makes him tom holland yeah you know, okay. that kind of thing because because that's re- really this, the best case scenario of, of for all the actors of this sort of demographic you're logan lerman's yeah as it were you're uh, jake Who's the, is it Jake Johnston? Jake Johnson? That Jake one, Johnson's the, from New Girl. <laughs> no, no, no. The one, the one who's in Jurassic... No, the, there's two in Jurassic World and they have similar sounding names. The one who was uh, Love, Victor or, or whichever movie Oh, it was. I don't know. I don't know. 
But uh, anyway, the, the, the best no, story of all of them is they all want to be Tom Holland. Now, Tom Holland is, you know, he's a heartthrob and he's a household name, but he's not especially that successful outside of his one brand. Dylan O'Brien, it would seem to be the sort of the same with Teen Wolf. Mm. Only he's just no got nowhere near the crossover stature of, of Tom Holland. Anyway, this is mid-tier filmmaking it's just very baseless and hollow there's very little character to it and i didn't come to care for it this is going to feed into my larger issue with the first three films we discovered we discussed this week and uh, you don't you just can't seem to get invested it's it's a mystery without involvement in okay. which case it's in which case you know a mystery without involvement is just a, is ultimately just a series of conversations and because of how baseline dylan o'brien is anyway his sort of you know his flat monotone sort of persona is is forever looking kind of stoned you know confused face defo his confused face as you would say <laughs> because of that and how a you know asmr and all these you know listening to him constantly it, it, it's a challenge it, the, the 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 bets are on for whether or not you'll actually not snooze through this to be really honest it is no butterfly effect put it that way fine Okay, he has not done what Ashton Kutcher kind of did. Um, well, do you know what? I'd say this week we're off to a little bit of a slow start with the movies, but hold tight. When we come back, we've got two more big movies that are out this week for you, and I'm pretty sure it's going to ramp up. Welcome back to Off Screen, and we're still sticking with the new releases for the week. And uh, this is one that you can actually watch at home as well. I don't know if we've ever actually mentioned this in all this time, but obviously with all Curzon movies, Curzon have their own uh, at-home ah. on-demand service. Yeah. yeah, they've had one long, long in advance of the pandemic. They've had this for years. It's part of their whole whole you know brand. But yeah, the, the Killing of Two Lovers, which is which is out uh, this week, that is available on there as well. This stars Clayne Crawford. Do you remember? Do you remember the Lethal Weapon TV show? Yeah, yeah. Was he? He was. Oh, was he Mel Gibson's? Yeah, he was the guy who played Riggs, and then yeah. he was like so bad to work with. He was such a, 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 hell, a hellion to work with and a nightmare to deal with every day that they fired him and killed. They literally got rid of the main character on a Lethal Weapon show and replaced wow. him with Sean William Scott. None of which happens here. Um, an exercise in which he shows his own inner Brando, effectively. Yes. He is. Yeah, he's got that sort. He's going for that sort of a vibe. Um, so, the killing of two lovers. Then, Bex, tell us, take it away. What what's going on here? Well, Clay Crawford plays a character called David, who is is a father and a husband who's going through a separation, an, an odd mm. kind of separation with his wife. They basically agreed that they possibly could see other people while they try and work out what's going on in there relationships all been so they, left a bit unspoken hasn't it? it yeah so they got together at high school got married had kids quite young it's 20 years later maybe 15 20 years later and the cracks are starting to show so they're going through the separation he's trying to you know be the best dad that he can to his uh kids and at the same time he's trying to struggle sorry he's he's basically coming to terms with a new relationship that his wife is going through, but also to kind of control his anger at the same time. Hey, Alex. Yeah? What do you call a pile of kittens? What? A meowton. Come on, That is terrible. What new joke? New jokes? You guys tell me a joke. A dog's always in a push-up position. Mitch Hedberg, search him up. Mitch Hedberg, who's that? Comedian, that's actually good. Oh, the bus is here. Bye, Dad. Bye, boys. <laughs> so I thought this was firstly a really, really great film. I thought it was really well done. Um, it did not take me down the route that I expected it to, which there is a route that you probably expect it to take because of the title, The Killing of Two Lovers. Um, that would be too linear for this. Um, but it, it, it's a character-driven piece. It, it's, it's basically a complete exploration of this family. And I have to say, whatever we know from um, the Lethal Weapon series with, um, with Clay Crawford, I think he does a great Brando in this. I think he actually is really, really good, very brooding. And um, uh, Sapida Moafi, uh, Moafi? Moafi, I, 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 
I think she's really your every woman in this as well, who's just trying to keep everything together, trying to understand how best to play things, but gets it wrong a few times. I really like this film. I think it's I, I think it's, it's it's pretty good. I think it's a pretty good, neat little, you know, uh, yeah. out there, outland kind of familial drama. And I think Clayne Crawford has absolutely, you know, every right to be sort of dining out and, and you know, chewing every moment that he can get in this sort of Brando-esque, you know, yeah. uh, mind that he's managed to find in it. You know, hats off to him, fair play. And he's, he's yeah. very good in it. He's very solid. Um, I'm assuming this might have been filmed before all that Lethal Weapon stuff because I would have assumed everything with the lethal weapon yeah. would have made him toxic and this would presumably be like a rehabilitation kind of project for his image um, in which case you know I think his his performance outside of all that is, is very good and is to be admired um, my issue I think, I think it is lacking a little bit of depth on the page I think a lot of it is le left quite abstract Ooh. Pretty much for the sake of it, yeah. If it, there's there's a, a sort of self insist a sort of self importance placed upon it to an extent that I think distanced me from it a little bit. But I couldn't deny at the same time it was an incredibly well put together film, Go uh, gorgeous visuals. Uh, the yeah. cinematographer whose name I did write down, Oscar Ignacio Jimenez. Right. Uh, he's a cinematographer on this, and it's a gorgeous, just jaw-dropping film. At yeah, times. there's some, some there's great visuals. There's beautiful wide shots. There's mm, a, there's yeah. a shot where he takes the um, so he's got one of those uh, punch dummies, uh, which he takes yes, with yes. him out to a field, and he gets a gun out because it, the way he's sort of dispelling his anger is to obviously take it out on this punch dummy, and take it to the extent that he's kind of going, you know, you don't know what he's going to do with the gun. But yeah, he yeah. practices on this punch dummy, and it's this gorgeous, stunning wide shot with these mountain sort of ranges in the background. Very well thought out. There's also a really nice sort of distant rocket sequence with, and I don't mean like Elon Musk rocket sequence. He's basically taking his kids <laughs> to the park, and they're playing with these yeah. like toy rockets and stuff. And again, the camera just sits there and watches it unfold, and it's just this continuous shot. There's some really. Do you know what? This is your perfect Curzon movie. Is what I'd say this is. Yes, yeah, actually, it's a very Curzon film, I will say. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as in, I think to the mainstream public, it may not be everyone's cup of tea, but I think to a slightly more art house friendly crowd, this it stands quite a good chance of being quite uh, quite decently received, getting good word of mouth, I think, particularly yeah. for Clayne Crawford. But onto the biggie of this one. Yes. We've got to talk about this one because I'm sure we, we've all seen this a while ago now. Uh, so it's A Quiet Place Part Two. Um, for a, lot, a lot of film critics saw this before the pandemic because they were just starting to screen it to, to early release critics and, and like Empire critics and things like that. It's now here post, well, not post COVID, but, uh, you know, around the time that we're loosening restrictions and attempt to get us back in cinemas it is now what it's, it's, it's like a minute after the events of literally picking up off the end of the uh, the previous movie yeah with uh, emily blunt and the kids in the basement and the dead alien um we are now back in we're forced to abandon the world of uh the established world from a quiet place which is 2018 2017 yeah yeah i think it is what around that time um, and venture out further into the world looking for the next stage of survival. Um, along the way, they encounter a friend from before the fall, effectively, a, a family friend played by uh, Killian Murphy, who takes them into his makeshift shelter and aids our, I forget the name of the young daughter, our hearing-impaired young daughter uh, figure of the family, as she sets out to basically strike back at the aliens that have, you know, irreparably, uh, you know, savaged the human race. I don't know why you came all the way up here. There's nothing left. Please. There are people out there worth saving. You don't know, do you? I do. Oh my goodness, I have to say, I loved this sequel. I like in terms, this was my first sit back in the cinema, watch a mm -hmm. movie experience. And you know from the first movie that you have to see this in a cinema in like absolute silence. Oh. 
Unquestionably. Un yeah. Unquestionably. Yeah, someone eating popcorn needs to leave right now, you know? It's, it's that kind of <laughs> moment. The tension that is built in this is phenomenal. Uh, you know, we're always a bit nervous about sequels. How well is it going to live up to the first one? How well is it going to continue on? It's stunning and sublime. So what I like about this is first, first thing you see out of this movie is them establishing day one of what happens when these aliens come to Earth. And we get that background, which we didn't get in the first movie. And then what I really thought was very clever was that this was not Emily Blunt's movie. This was the kids' movies, right? So this is really focused on, you know, the, the brilliant actress who whose name... Uh, gets away from me right now who is is basically playing the who is the deaf girl deaf daughter in this she's phenomenal in this the son and his reaction of just trying to keep himself together throughout this <laughs> is amazing and then Emily Blunt kind of allows them to really sort of take the center stage of this piece and as does Killian Murphy and I like I didn't know how they were going to take this to the next level of where we're going to go with this film and actually I think Having John Krasinski out of the movie and focusing on the direction, you get some really strong uh, cinematic, just general kind of overall plot point narratives and uh, expert kind of ways that are really going to establish him as a fantastic director moving forward. I, I can't disagree on that, actually. Krasinski is undeniably a, a, a great director, especially on these movies. He, he amply shows that he really can direct a yeah. sequence. And it's particularly with the opening of this, the, the big yeah. set piece that opens this film, which is like, you know, as you say, it's the day one, it's your zero hour uh, moment. It's the moment of first contact with the monsters from the first film. It's that juxtaposition and... from normality to complete stark contrast is amazing. It, it, it runs the gamut from uh, M. Night Shyamalan all the way to Amblin-era Spielberg slash J.J. Yeah. Abrams. Yeah. So it's a very it's a very impressive uh, bit of filmmaking. It works quite well. That to see that level of precision, <clears throat> I mean, we, we, should, I mean, we kind of knew after the first one, to be fair. Um, I don't think this is as good as the first movie. I think it's a good movie. I think it's a perfectly fine sequel. But it is, it does, for me, does have the Jaws 2 effect. Okay. <laughs> which is the first that's one surprised. is that cinematic is, is a cinematic experience equivalent to you know seeing Jaws the first time. Do, do you, you know what I mean? Mm. It is kind of the same as that. that for, you know, it's, it's in the same way that Jaws or Jurassic Park has that effect. Quiet Place and the way it used sound, or the way gravity uses 3D or something, like that, and also sound. It is one of those things where you would want to see it on the biggest screen, the best atmosphere. Um, this has got that going for it, but not quite as impressively as the first time around, I think. But a very solid sequel. It, it's kind of a case of, sure, more, but slightly less effective. It's, you know, you the know, old the bulb that burns twice as bright, burns half as, half as long kind of thing. Yeah. It's kind of that, but they've only turned it up about 20%, I would say. I would just say on that, I understand, like, you're never going to get that surprise factor back. You're never going to get that kind of inquisitive feel as to what is causing the issue around them. But in terms of continuing that story, I think it's a phenomenal way to continue it. That's it, isn't it? I think it can't quite make up its mind whether or not it wants to be about world building or if it wants to be about trying to recapture that sense of atmosphere from the first one, but in a different location. Yeah. Yeah. And it never seems to quite commit to either. It seems too determined to balance that it never commits to that never commits to a, a position on anything, and, yeah. and that I found a little bit irritating. Also, I thought Killian Murphy's role was a bit thankless, to be honest. There were a yeah. lot of moments that did feel kind of you know, okay, we got pegged into a corner, we weren't expecting it to be successful enough that we'd have to do a sequel, but they offered us too much money, so we have to, and we really regret killing the dad off. There, there was there was a lot of that feeling in there for me, oh, but I it did, does I, work. I, it I works. Yeah, I didn't feel that, but I, I see why you might have. But it didn't it didn't lose anything for me by not having John Krasinski in here because there was enough signals back to his pres his precedence that was set as a result mm. of him being there. So look, overall, really good sequel. The the big difference for me, just very quickly, is that when I first saw A Quiet Place, I didn't see that in the cinema. This is the first time oh, I've seen know? this in the cinema. So this might be ah. why I'm suddenly like, wow, that impact is there. This is why I'm glad there's not a Gravity 2. Right, yeah, yeah. Oh, the moment <laughs> Gravity went onto the small screen, you can forget about it. Just bring it back periodically into the, into the cinema and people will go and watch it again. Ooh. 
Welcome back to Off Screen. So we've taken you on a wild ride through the cinema and now we are keeping you back on the couch as we go through all of your top movies on the TV. So what have we got up first, Van? What's kicking off our Saturday night? But this is the thing, because you picked this one, actually. Because mm. it's, it's one that I always, I, I hum and har over, to be honest. So it's on ITV at 20 past 10 on Saturday night. So it's a good good one to you know, enjoy over the weekend. So, I mean, I won't deny it's a good romping action thriller. It's a Casino Royale. It's the 2005 reboot of the James Bond franchise. Debut of um, the new Bond of the day, uh, Daniel Craig. And it is an adaptation of uh, Ian Fleming's uh, original you know, James Bond franchise launching novel, in which Bond... Bond is sent uh, to take on an arms dealer by bankrupting him um, in, in the you know eponymous Casino Royale. Um, in this case, uh, said uh, said arms dealer is Le Chief, played by uh, Mads Mikkelsen. I think it's the first big role I remember for Mads Mikkelsen. And into the mix, of course, comes Vesper Lind, played by the luscious Miss Ava Green. By the cut of his suit, you went to Oxford or wherever. And actually, think human beings dressed like that. But you were it with such disdain. My guess is you didn't come from money. And your school friends never let you forget it. Which means you were at that school by the grace of someone else's charity. Hence the chip on your shoulder. And since your first thought about me ran to orphan, that's what I'd say you are. Well, you are. <laughs> I like this perky thing. And that makes perfect sense. Since MI6 looks for maladjusted young men, I give little thought to sacrificing others in order to protect queen and country. You know, former SAS types with easy smiles and expensive watches. Rolex? Amiga. Beautiful. <laughs> God, I love Eva Green. And I love that line. Um, I actually really love Casino Royale. I'm, it's interesting you're sort of not as in love with it. it it's one of the... I suppose highest ranking Bond movies out there. Mm. People absolutely love it. What what is it that that kind of takes it away for you? I think I think for me it's I think I think I have uh, as a, as a start of its own sort of separate franchise. It's fine as a James Bond fan. Uh, fan I just felt like this is this is in no way connected to the Bond that I've sort of grown up watching because the Bond movies and the Bond books had long since become very very disconnected things. Like mm. they did not necessarily reflect one another at all the attitudes and things were very different i mean you know ian fleming does not do black exploitation but filmmakers do you know bond had always been very different on the screen to what it was on the page and this attempt to contemporize the original ian fleming book i thought just didn't quite work i found it a bit lumbersome i thought it lacked the refinement and the class and to be honest i found it dumber than i needed to find a bond film do you know what? That the, was in many ways a big, a, big, a big part of it for me. Yeah. Do you know what? I? Uh, it's interesting because do you, like, do you wish that they had a continuation of a, like, essentially like Pierce Brosnan in a new, in a new Bond? Like, cause, cause obviously Daniel Craig is, he's your gritty Bond, you know? We see more of his emotional side in this than we have in any other Bonds. I feel like Daniel Craig, if he hadn't been Bond, I would have wanted him to be Bond in the same way that I want Tom Hardy to be Bond. I don't actually want them to be Bond, but I, you know, I, I think, oh, do you know what? They'd be quite cool, though. I could see that working. It's in the same way that you kind of want to see a Damian Lewis Bond, even though the yeah. guy is in his 50s and obviously wouldn't be able to do it you know, in, in reasonably prime-looking shape for more than, say, two movies max. And certainly, yeah. I think he and Daniel Craig are about the same age. Um... You know, the, regardless of the whole age thing, and the, you just think it would be interesting to see. So I don't yeah. inherently dislike Daniel Craig as Bond. I think he's an interesting choice. He was an interesting choice. I respect them for making an interesting choice, to be fair. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm with it. And look, look, this is going to... You might have some people who completely agree with you on this, or you might mm. be the lone wolf that sometimes the action sequences are great though i mean that's the thing it's just just the impracticality of oh yeah okay so i see and this is the bond doing parkour it is it dated this movie about as quickly as you know millhouse saying radical right or or any line from the original teenage Mutant ninja turtles franchise or a lot of wayne's world it it's so dated or clueless or clueless you know in jokes it, it, it dates. It shows you how how ill advised this was. But then again, that's not exactly new for the Bond series. So I suppose I'm undermining my own point because let's be honest, Live and Let Die did not age well. 
No, exactly. So let's move swiftly on from that because obviously uh, Casino Royal, as we've mentioned, is on ITV at 10.20pm on Saturday night. If you're wanting something a little bit lighter, a little bit less divisive, uh, then we've got on Sunday, uh, BBC One, 3.05pm. Well, this is a sequel. Um, Mm. This is a sequel of a film so many people loved. This is a sequel that is leading through Ellen DeGeneres. It is, of course, Finding Dory. Wait, wait, no. I know where my parents are. They're in, um... What's it called? The place, uh, soap and lotion? Open ocean. Open ocean. Open ocean? I know where that is. That's the exhibit located right next to... I don't care. Easy. (gasps) If you're trying to get to the open ocean exhibit, just go through the pipes. Through the pipes, great. Through the pipes? Yep, take two lefts, swim straight, and you'll hit it. Oh, that's a lot of directions. That's... Did you get that, Hank? All all that? Uh, yeah. Great, let's go. I'm not going with you. I won't fit. You have to go by yourself. Um... Uh, that's that. I'm. I see. I can't because I'm. I'm not so good with directions. Well, that's too bad. A deal's a deal. You wanted to find your parents. That's how you get to them. Now give me your tag. But Hank, I, I can't go in the pipes alone. I- I'll forget where I'm going. Not my problem. Tag. I love Ed O'Neill as Hank the Squid. Yeah. There, I think he's a lot of fun. Also, I think this movie does also feature Ty Burrell as uh, as a man as, as the manatee or something, a porpoise or something like that. And uh, and, and sort of weird Damon, modern family. It's Matt there's Damon. A, there's a, a weird modern family. 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 I think yeah. does Matt Damon appear? I know uh, uh, Idris well, Elba yeah. and Dominic West are in this as the uh, the seals, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, there's something like, I think there's a pair of seahorses or something like that, and it's Brad Pitt and Matt Damon or something weird, and they have this, like... Oh, man. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Do you know what? I think... I don't know how you f- feel about it uh, as a sequel. I, 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 I'm I, okay with this. It doesn't blow me away, this one. It doesn't blow me away, but it's, it's perfectly it's perfectly fun yeah. and enjoyable enough. Like, I'll sit and watch it again. Like, put it this way, if I'm going to watch a Pixar movie on, like, Disney+, Plus, I'm going to put this on before I put a Cars sequel on. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. God, probably, to be honest with you, I'd probably put this on ahead of Incredibles 2. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on this. Like, yeah, look, I like it. I just, if it's there, I'll watch it. But if it's not there, I'm not going to seek yeah. it out. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? It is there at five past three on Sunday afternoon on BBC One. So, you know, that, that kind of works out. If you happen to be there as well, thanks. Yeah, you know, you can, uh, yeah, you can revisit this, this Ellen DeGeneres uh, aquatic sequel. Uh, let's go to Monday night then at 9pm, if, if, if we so happen to be uh, in the location as well. Because I don't know if this is actually streaming on anywhere. At present. Uh, no, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this one is. Uh, on Film 4, 9pm Monday night. It's, it's a favourite of mine. Um, I know you quite enjoy it as well, Bex. It is, of course, The Greatest Showman. How much do yeah. you love The Greatest Showman, Bex? Do you know what? I loved it. I walked out of the first screening of this, um, ye- obviously years ago now, and I remember seeing Mark Commode and a few other sort of journalists just kind of going, well, that was a... Yeah, and I, and I was like, oh, lighten up, I'm... Bloomin' loved it. <laughs> I was they like, all what? took it back. To be fair to them, a lot of them took it back because audiences yeah. just, it turned out, loved the movie. And a lot of them turned around, and Kermode in particular, turned around and said afterwards, like, okay, you know what, I went and saw it again and I've revised my opinion. Okay, I wasn't getting the audience element, which yeah. is fair. Yeah, no, that's fair. Because you, yeah, yeah, we you kind of need a good, solid audience, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we're in like, you know, a screening of 10 of us, maybe. So it's not it's not exactly the same. But The Greatest Showman, all singing, all dancing, Hugh Jackman, back on the big screen stage, What's Not To Love.
I adore the soundtrack to this movie. Yeah. Honestly, I'm a huge, huge, I'm an unashamed Greatest Showman fan. I just absolutely love this movie. I think it is so much fun. Hugh Jackman was born to do this oh, movie. That, yeah. That, that, that's it for me. I, I, I think it is as much fun as I can physically have with a musical. I think this, uh, this is it for me. I think it is classy and cool and fun. My favourite part of Cruella recently reminded me of The Greatest Showman in particular, the way the camera moved in there. Um, my only, and, and it was, I love this so much, I'm not even annoyed that we're probably never going to get the unbelievably potentially fascinating uh, actual straight-faced biopic of P.T. Barnum, which incidentally, if you've ever got a cast, you get Paul Giamatti and nobody else for because of this like that will never happen now yeah. because this exists yeah and but what I do hope is that they bring this as they're doing with Moulin Rouge into mm. the theatre because I would love to see a version of this this needs to be like a secret cinema thing doesn't it yeah oh my god is it not I, I'm sure they're thinking about it 100% like get my tickets for that were you yeah. a fan the quick question I've got for you now is were you a fan of Moulin Rouge uh, ish like I, I kind of respected I liked the energy of it and I respected the visuals and things like that but I, I maintain that Ewan McGregor is spectacularly awful in it Okay. Uh, in in that same way, though, that Daniel Radcliffe is awful in uh, The Woman in Black, but the film is incredibly good and right. manages to survive the fact that he's bad in it. Well, for someone who was totally in love with you and McGregor in Moulin Rouge, I completely disagree with you. <laughs> I'm, I, sure, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure, my, I'm sure my, my good lady would uh, would agree with you. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think this, you know, any this again follows suit. It's got the fan base. It's got, you know, it's got the recognition and it's got the songs. In fact, last night on the way back from the pub in the car, I was we were singing along to it to get us on the journey back home uh, through the rain, which was fantastic. So, the greatest showman. It's there for you to enjoy yet again. Both Van and myself are. Oh no, it's only me actually who's going to go and see this in an open air cinema. Um, you're going to go and see the craft, which is very exciting. Uh, but I will be enjoying that this weekend in the open air cinema but if you cannot go and do that it's of course film for 9 p.m on monday welcome back for one last ride off screen and as there's really nothing new coming to streaming or dvd in the next week i think dvd and blu-ray have got like uh, the united states versus billy holiday have you seen that one Bex? yes I, have, I, I, have, yeah. I hadn't seen it is it actually good yeah i think Unless you really want to sit down and watch it, it can be a bit of a slog. Um, hmm. But, uh, you know, watched it for the Oscars and stuff, and, and it was good. Andra Day was fantastic. I think that was it was the one that I missed this year. Yeah. There's always one that I miss, and it's that one. Uh, but anyway, let's carry on instead and fill the time with... We can talk le- le- with, with more length, I think, about uh, the offerings on Freeview this week. And one that I know is, of course, uh, near and dear to your heart. We're both no <laughs> 90s kids, you and I, Bex. Yeah. And uh, I remember the, the year of our Lord, 1998. Life yeah, it was, yeah. but yesterday. I remember airwalks were the in thing. Flannel shirts had started to you know, largely come in shades of blue around then. Uh, Armageddon was in cinemas, The X-Files was at the top of its fame, and Halloween got rebooted. Do you remember this one? Well, I do, because it was actually the time in which I bought my very first DVD player, and Halloween Halloween H2O, which is on Tuesday night on 5 Star at 11pm, was my first DVD to go in that DVD player. (laughs) Um, so, Mine was so Blade, but, which was also a 1998 film. So I think we're, we're getting kind of comparable here. I had the first Blade movie, so you had H2O and I had Blade. Uh, yes, this is, of course, um, this is a direct sequel to... In fact, no, it's not a direct sequel to the original. That was the 2018 version. I'm getting ahead of myself. So this is, effectively, this is the 20th anniversary, hence the H2O, the 20th anniversary tie-in movie that follows on from this idea that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode, sister of central serial, central figure and serial killer Michael Myers, you know, the antagonist of these things, um, has faked her own death, has gone into hiding, and is now um, the uh, is now the, the principal of an elite private, uh, private school in Northern California, at which her son, then emerging hunky teen star Josh Hartnett, is a student. And wouldn't you know it, he's only one of them rebellious teens. You told me yourself you watched him burn. I didn't exactly stay to see his ashes. 20 years. 20 years. Don't you think he would have shown up by now? What's he waiting for, huh? Okay, Mom, I can't live like this. I'm sorry. What? 
What does that mean, John? If you want to stay handcuffed to your dead brother, that's fine, but you're not dragging me along. Not anymore. I think I bought this DVD because I knew that Josh Hartnett was in it. I think, that's, <laughs> I think that was my driving factor in this. Um, was this the first movie to have the Josh Hartnett hairdo in it? I think it might have been. You, but, you know that one? He had it for like three movies, didn't he? Is this before or after The Faculty? Like, I can't remember when this... Oh, no, Faculty's... I think, I'm sure Faculty is fall of 98, early 99. I think this comes for Halloween yeah uh, 1998 so i think this is just before the faculty maybe i just remember like there's something that obviously made me go oh josh hartnett oh dvd yes this is fun. It. it's a fun slasher this though because it's written yeah. by kevin williamson who had uh, you know at that point was sort of the up and coming he was he was kind of uh, the cinematic answer to joss whedon to an extent he was he was doing dawson's creek on tv but you know in terms of films he was getting his attitude across in things like the scream series and this and i think i know what you did last summer as well he took pass on and he was getting his name out there as the go-to horror slasher writer yeah and i think he had a falling out where he was too busy to do scream three and it all started to sort of unravel but uh it's a fun slasher michelle williams is in it jody lynn o'keefe you know it's got ll cool j i think is yeah. the uh is, is the is our cool J the guard in this one? I think he is. I re- now it's all coming back to me. I'm like 99. This is the one. Back. This is the one where LL Cool J is writing an erotic novel. Is it? Remember? I don't. Remember I'm sure that. it is. Is this the one where he's in the guardhouse writing an erotic novel to his his wife down the phone? I probably wouldn't have noticed that he was writing an erotic novel, but. Yeah. He does. No, no, no. He does. He because he verbally tells her the dialogue. He reads out what he's writing to his wife. It's a, it's a great LL Cool J role. Um, Let's let bear in mind yeah. the fact that I was 14 when I was watching this, so and I oh, haven't okay. seen it well, since, so I don't okay. remember. Well, but, evidently, evidently, young ladies don't don't love Cool James as much no. as ladies love Cool James. But anyway, on to a movie that does not star LL Cool J, but it does briefly feature uh, Michael K. Williams from The Wire, funnily enough, um, as a weird demand of its star, Edward Norton. On Wednesday the 9th, film 4, 11.25pm, a tight and tidy, I think it's only about 100 minute, rompy th- uh, Marvel thriller, and this is actually part of the MCU, everyone sort of seems to neglect it. It's The Incredible Hulk from 2008, starring Tim Roth, and as its antagonist, uh, um... Sorry, 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 Edward Norton as its, as its antagonist, Tim Roth. I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. Yeah. Um, this is the fugitive part of the Incredible Hulk legend. Edward Norton is on the run. He's seeking a, a, a cure for his condition. And the US military sits upon him, the latest recipient of one of its attempts to duplicate the process that made Captain America, um, creating, as a result of mixing this combination with, you know, uh, military veteran Tim Roth, uh, the abomination, this monstrous, almost Greek godlike creature that only Edward Norton's Bruce Banner could possibly be equipped to handle. We've never seen anything even close to your levels of exposure. That you survived an event like that, it's beyond my comprehension. I don't want to control it. I want to get rid of it. As far as I'm concerned, that man's whole body is property of the U.S. Army. They want it as a weapon. If we let it go, we will never get it back. What the hell was that? There's only one thing that can fight that. It's in me. What year was this out? Do you remember? 2008. So this only opened a month after. I think it was a month after uh, Iron Man. What was the one? What was the Hulk movie? And who starred as the Hulk before this one? Do you remember? Uh, the one before this was five years previous in 2003 and it starred Eric Barner. Yeah, so the Eric Barner one, right, is the first time that I went to the cinema to watch this, the Eric Barner one in the cinema, and it's the first time someone had thrown a shoe in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, who does that? Like, literally, who throws a shoe in the cinema? But yeah, that's... Who throws a shoe? Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, who throws a shoe? Um, but yeah, that is just what I was like. Was it this one or was it the other one? So I'm, I'm pleased to say it wasn't this one. So you guys can enjoy it with the knowledge that I'm not going to be annoyed at <laughs> this one. <laughs> I like... This is the thing. I think Incredible Hulk is... It, it, because it's not mythology-focused in any way, it is just a fun, slick thriller from Louis Leterrier. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's got a lot going for it. I think it's the kind of thing... I actually would like to see more things like this from Marvel. I would like to see an A to B to C thriller 
from from Marvel in the vein of something like this because I appreciate maybe now that we're going to be seeing like more per year because I think we can mm. get like four in the next year now. Um, now that we're starting to see you know an increase in the quantity of them, I'm hoping that that means that they can let one slip that can just be fun and flighty thrillers. Occasionally we need you know an Ant Man. Yeah, but you know, occasion. That, that, I mean, I know the Ant Man series still does it, but I, I just would like to see more kind of like that. Some things that don't require all the world building. Uh, I really enjoy this, and I think Edward Norton's kind of underrated. There's a lot of humour to be ridden out of his chemistry with uh, Liv Tyler in yeah. this, and a role for Tybor from Modern Family as well yeah. in this, as and as, as a character who, incidentally, if you know the comics, you know is destined to become a hero himself. But uh, anyway, on to uh, Thursday night, the tenth. Uh, ITV4, 9pm. Well, I'll be quick and breezy on this one because we've covered it before. Die yeah. Hard 2 is on, ladies and gentlemen. Do you, do you rate Die Hard 2? I, I, I kind of... I, I do and I don't. I love the first one. Um, mm. I kind of... Just, it, again, I, I, it falls into, like, the sequel problems for me. Like, I'm just a bit like, it's the same again. Same day, different, you know, different tower. <laughs> it's kind of... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I kind of lose interest a little bit with it, but you know, I, I, I love the first one. But this one, we've got obviously, um, and was it another another team of terrorists hitting? These are mercenaries. These are mercenaries from the U.S. military, U.S. military trained. Um, effectively, they're, they're soldiers gone rogue, and they are trying to free a South American dictator who's being tra- transferred. Uh, for extradition, I believe, led by um, the brilliant uh, William Sadler. Uh, if you need a, a, a reminder of this, this is uh, the cameo that Al gets from the first movie. Fingerprints. Got an unidentified stiff here. We've circled the worlds in pen. In case the transmission's a little fuzzy. Listen, run it through state and federal, and if you can, run it through Interpol. Will do. Well, what's this about? Oh, just a feeling I have. <laughs> Ouch. When you get those feelings, insurance companies start to go bankrupt. Listen, the uh, fax number is... It's on the top edge of the transmission. It's on the top got. edge of the transmission you just got. On airport, huh? Listen, uh, you're not in somebody's pool, are you? <laughs> yeah, and I'm fresh out of chlorine. So, I mean, yeah, look... <laughs> I'm not going to say too much on this. We'll breeze straight, as as Van said, we'll breeze straight through it. It's not my one of my favourite Die Hard movies, but I mean, isn't there five to contend with now? <laughs> there are five Die Hard movies. Yes, I think the I think McLean, which was going to be the sort of finale to the series, got has been shut down by uh, by Disney. But uh, this is my third favourite. They, okay. they literally go one, three, two. Like I think one is the best, three second best, etc. Um, just it's it's great oh. action, solidly made, uh, still holds up. Anyway, to round off the week, let's go with a classic '90s for the adults thriller. How do you know how much did it blow? your mind to see this on the list this week Bex. no 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 i was really pleased to see it because I, yeah. I just saw it this morning and i was like this for me from a nostalgic perspective i watched this way too young oh it's good in it yes and i totally remember seeing this on my tv in my parents house and i was like like you know like when you're you walk in and maybe they're watching it and then you kind of mm. just sit down because you're like what's going on <laughs> <Yeah>. with that <laughs> and, what we gone yeah yeah it was brilliant you know this is this is um rebecca de mornay you know in this uh, just is this the one with the shoe the stiletto shoe Yes. Like, yes. Yes. This yes. is this is this is of course uh, 1992's The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Oh, sorry, which stars I Annabella. I got carried away. I thought we'd already told you what it was. <laughs> well, it's actually this is the thing. So, uh, and, uh, Rebecca De Mornay, who you've mentioned, is in fact the villain of it. But mm. this is at the height of the psycho thriller yeah. trend. So this is when you're getting movies like Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct and movies like that. Um, this is Rebecca De Mornay uh, as the antagonist here. Annabella Sciorra is uh, our 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 heroine. She is the you know the the ordinary mum who um, is is sexually assaulted by her uh, by her GP by her medical doctor. She yeah. reports him, which of course then leads to his suicide. And Rebecca De Mornay is his grieving, vengeful widow yeah. who sets herself up as Annabella Sciorra's nanny to her newborn baby as she sets about absolutely annihilating this family from the inside out and here's a clip of Rebecca De Mornay being so twisted as to actually take on Mara Wilson from Mrs Doubtfire who's the daughter of the family taking on her school bully Hi Emma 
Tell me, which one is it? Where? You know, like the blue and gray striped shirt? Mm-hmm. Okay. For you, Roth. Leave Emma alone. Look okay. at me. If you don't, I'm gonna rip your head off. Ow! Hey, get it, man. Let it go. Don't forget it. Oh, what a way to end the week. If you haven't seen this movie, and in fact, if you haven't seen it since 1992 when it came out, mm. this is well worth you revisiting. You're right, the psycho thriller. This is if it's hated, yeah. and I'm really hoping that it it's it's not dated. It doesn't feel too. I mean, obviously the clothes will look dated, but I hope it it's, holds up. There's still. something so classic about it because this is the one yeah. with the greenhouse roof. If you if you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the, there's, a, there's a really yeah, there's a really cool cool greenhouse uh, that, that, that one of the characters, Annabella Shaw, I think, spends a lot of time in. But uh, yeah, this I thought this was so cool. Do you remember who plays the uh, the Doctor, the, the, Rebecca De Mornay's husband, as well? No, I can't remember in this. It's I'm... John Delancey. It's Q from Star Trek. Ah, okay. the omnipotent, mischievous sort of imp-like figure in Star Trek. Uh, Q. It's it's John Delancey, who of course, and Julianne Moore's in this as the, as well. And Julianne Moore as well. This is a really good movie. You absolutely got to watch this. So if you've not seen it, it's so good. If you have seen it, you know you need to rewatch it anyway. So yeah. absolutely get this scene. It's on eleven twenty-five next Friday night on Five Star. Make a note. After Sky Plus, it set it to Sky Plus TV, whatever. Get it seen. It is so good. And of course, next week we're going to talk about another quite interesting thriller. We're going to talk about the Father. Next yeah, week yeah, which I know both you and I loved. Um, you've even caught it a second time. Um, this was obviously the best actor winner for uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins at this year's Oscars. So if you haven't won, seen this, was it yet, best adapted? Bad, adapted screenplay. Yeah, it? I think it won that as well. It's a masterpiece um, it, and an absolute masterclass in acting. So, mm. you know, stay tuned for our review of that. I think you can probably tell that we're going to like it a little bit. Um, <laughs> and then what else have we got, Van? We've got Nobody is finally out in the UK next week, which stars Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. And this is effectively meant to be like, he is Mr. Nobody. He's just an average Joe and he gets mugged. And this is like from, this is like tied to the guys who made like John Wick. So yeah. it's being played as a sort of almost real world kick-ass style parody of John Wick so I'm really looking forward to this uh, that's to come next week as well it's just going to be a good time we'll of course have more uh, more freeview offerings to go through next yeah. week as well I hope we can find any, any that are going to be as fun to talk about as uh, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle which I'm so oh. desperate to revisit now absolutely so make sure you guys stay tuned join us again each and every Friday as you normally do but we'll be back again next Friday with all that and more so here on Offscreen Screen. 